Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. We have a friend in studio today. I'm super excited because he has written another book. Joining us is the Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, and author of now three a, a, a trilogy now, which is very exciting. So the upcoming book is Faith That Shines in the Culture, which is coming November from Concordia Publishing House. Thanks for joining us today. Sarah and Andy, thank you so much for having me. This is great to be here with you live yeah. in living color. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's been a couple of years since you've been in the yeah. studio with us, so this is fun. It has been, but I did see you recently, you and your husband, Luther, in California. <laughs> it was so great having you over, hanging out in the house and having meals together. Yeah. It was a good time. Yeah. So I can call Dr. Espinosa my friend now, too. Absolutely. Which is amazing. You guys are always welcomed. We'll come back. <laughs> so you've written now three books in this series. We've got Faith That Sees Through the Culture, Faith That Engages the Culture, and now Faith That Shines in the Culture. So before we get into this third book that's coming out, what is the the theme, the kind of the, the through line that goes through all three of these books? They're all about faith and culture, of course, but there is an intentional sequence trilogy to see the culture and faith is to have a better understanding of how we interact with it. We go out as Christians having the wisdom of God's Word guiding us to understand, for example, the many paradoxes and dualities that we live and experience as Christians. So when we go out into the world, we know in spite of those powers and forces against God who's really in charge. And as we live within ourselves, we know we're in a constant battle between the old man, the new man, new creation, and all of those dualities, as I put it in this book, help us just to function more effectively, to know that as we're living in time, for example, we're living in the both and of Lutheran theology, the now and the not yet. So this encourages us tremendously that when we're facing trials and tribulations in the now, we can look to the not yet to be encouraged for the sake of endurance. So that first book is kind of a launching pad. It just kind of it kind of gives us a mindset, a framework, so that we have more confidence walking and living as Christians in the culture. Mm-hmm. That's followed by the next one, faith that engages the culture. Okay, so now that we're out there and we're confident, how how might we consider a simple framework for now engaging those without Christ? and do it effectively in this particular culture in the United States of America. So in that book, I offered the engagement triangle. And there we we talk about uh, the perspective as a first step. First uh, Peter 3.15 is guiding us. Uh, we always have, uh, we always consider Christ as holy in our hearts. Uh, so first things first, we are approaching people in the name of the Lord. And because we consider him holy, guess what? We consider his creation, his people holy, even those who who do not know him, because after all, he died for the world. And then we go from that perspective uh, and always being prepared to give an answer for that, which we believe in gentleness and respect. By the way, that's very, very important, needless to say. Gentleness in how we speak to that person, whomever we're speaking, even if they're kind of harassing us and haranguing us, we don't return evil for evil. We return with gentleness, with good. And then respect knowing who that third party is, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
everything we say is to the glory of God. So we train ourselves to know that when we're engaging others, Jesus is standing right there alongside of us. And then from that perspective, we then go down the engagement triangle. Think of a equilateral triangle. Go down the right side from perspective to people. And there I elaborate on 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul's missionary strategy, I become all things to all men, that I may save some by all possible means, talking about how we get into the shoes of other people so that we can more effectively relate and bridge, find that which we have in common with people to be more effective in our witness, and then go over to the other side of the equilateral, equilateral triangle to the place. I'm into monomic devices. Notice all of these start with the letter P. I'm kind of excited <laughs> about that. And the place, you consider the environment. What is it in the culture itself that kind of enables us to be even more, you know, on the, on the same page, finding stuff in common, building bridges and all that good stuff. So from there, now that we're, we're more confident in the culture, book one, and we know how to engage uh, people within the culture, book two, let's now celebrate that constant 24-7 opportunity to shine in holy vocation, but not just in holy vocation, this book, which is a very important article of the faith in the Lutheran tradition, but in context, and this is oftentimes left out, in the context of the estates in Lutheran theology. So we are relating these two, contextualizing them. How do they work together? How do we understand them side by side? But there are other distinctions even among the vocations and among the estates. But that's for my elaboration on this third book. So I'll just kind of wrap it up there for the summary of the tr- of the trilogy. <laughs> yeah. And I do want to talk about that in just a second about yeah. what it means to look at this from as Lutherans yeah. versus other um, traditions. But uh, just, uh, f- dear listener, if you could see what's happening in the studio right now. <laughs> I am not only thoroughly impressed with Dr. Espinosa's writing, but obviously you're familiar with being around a microphone because you've just given us visuals for everything you were saying without hitting the microphone once. Yeah, that was impressive. <laughs> that was I was watching. Impressive. <laughs> like, yes, the the whole trinity and that that was quite impressive that you were able to give us visuals. We should have recorded video. I didn't I know. realize it was well, going to be so visual today. Yeah, he's used to that, yeah. So let's go, let's go back to this faith shining, the faith that shines in the culture. Yeah. What does it mean to look at that from from a from the perspective of Lutherans with this, how did you look at it before, like looking at it from other traditions or how other worldviews view this? Well, I, I didn't spend a lot of time considering or studying the other worldviews. I mm-hmm. mean, I just kind of, I just cut to the chase as, as good Lutheran Christians, we're all about the word of God, sola scriptura, right? And stepping back and asking myself, how does the Lord present the everyday Christian life? And what I found in my research is one of the ways that we answer that in Holy Scripture is the light of Christ. <clears throat> now, Christ says in John 8, because we're crazy about being in the Word, right? That's what we do. We're people of the Word. And in John 8, Jesus says, he declares, I am the light of the world. And in Matthew 5, he teaches his disciples and also the church today, you are the light of the world. And I guess, Andy, I did do a little research on other perspectives. I did check out a neo-evangelical perspective where the author wrote, well, it's evident what's going on here. Well, Jesus was on earth conducting his public ministry on earth. He said he was the light of the world. But now that he's left the earth, he's passed the baton to the disciples who are now the light of the world. No, no, that's wrong. (laughs) Jesus is still here among us. Some argue that the book of Acts is best entitled the book, The Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ in and through the disciples, right? Jesus is with us today, 
through word and sacrament. We are truly incorporated into him. We are walking with him all the time. So the light of Christ comes to us. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the distinctions in terms of vocation. There is one singular primary vocation in Holy Scripture, and we've referred to that as the vertical vocation, and I describe it in terms, and this is all over the Scriptures, it's very much in the Psalms, light from above, light from God's face upon us. So God's light streams down to us. Now, how do we know we receive God's light? Now, this is a rich metaphor for describing God's presence. We know through holy baptism. We were just talking about flame and some of the stuff he sings about baptism is just amazing, right? But we receive that light vertically from above. That is our primary vocation and call. And it just so happens when you study the New Testament, by and large, far and away, actually, when the New Testament talks about call, it's talking about vertical call, that we are the baptized people of God. That is the call singular. But After receiving that singular call through holy baptism, that light that comes upon us vertically then shines through us horizontally. And the New Testament also speaks, not as much as the vertical call, but it does have scriptures on the horizontal, what I'm calling the horizontal calls, of Christ through us, most especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where it talks about where God has placed us in life. And this, of course, happens in context. And I'm going to get to the context later when we talk about the estates. But for now, what we're bringing out is Christ, the light of the world, shines upon us. We are the children of God by grace through faith in him. And now we are also the light of the world as his people. And his light now shines through us in all the horizontal calls. Whether we're a dad or a mom or a worker or whatever the case may be, he is shining through us. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Before we get too much further, let's talk about what we actually mean when we talk about vocation, because you're giving us some great stuff and we're throwing out these terms. Yeah. What, what, how do we understand vocation as Lutherans? How do we misunderstand that term also, especially in our cultural context and how the world tells us vocation is supposed to work? Really appreciate that. So we are big on being monergistic in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Sola gratia is, is that theme that always comes out. When, when we speak of call, well, it, it applies to both the vertical and the horizontal. Who is doing the calling? God is doing the calling. So when we talk about call, we are talking about God himself calling us. And as I describe it in the book, this is like a mini creation or cosmic event, which I was really kind of excited to express in writing. This is like a mini creation event, man, right? <laughs> After all, we're a new creation, right? Any, if anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. So God speaks, does all the work in making us his baptized people. You're forgiven. You're new because I say so in holy baptism. And then he calls us in these various callings on the horizontal realm. Now, this is where it gets tricky for us. Because, you know, we, we live in the home of the brave, land of the free, land of the free, home of the brave. And so we make choices. It's all about individual choice. I get to mm-hmm. choose where am I going to college, where, what am I going to work, and all that good stuff. Who am I going to marry? Well, we give ourselves too much credit. Certainly, he is allowing a, a certain kind of freedom in our experience. I can get more theological here, but I won't. He does, a, I'll just say, a certain kind of freedom. But ultimately, when it comes for the kingdom work— 
God is the one calling us to certain things. And I actually want to encourage listeners to get excited about this. If you are currently struggling in your marriage, back up and remind yourself that God has called you in this horizontal call to glorify him in this marriage with this person that he brought together with you. And I know, it again, it, it kind of messes with us because we're so accustomed to experience psychological freedom and psychological choice. But at the end of the day, all things, both our justification and our sanctification, is the work of God. Yeah. Oh, we have more to talk about. You're throwing out a lot of words, and I want to get to them, and we will, but we need to take, take a quick break. We're talking with Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinosa about his uh, book coming up in November from Concordia Publishing, How is Faith That Shines in the Culture? You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We're talking with the Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, and author of the upcoming book, Faith That Shines in the Culture, coming soon from Concordia Publishing House. And Oh, we're talking about some really great stuff about vocation and call and sanctification and, and all of these things that really affect us every day in everything that we do. And so we're talking about this horizontal or that, sorry, this vertical call from the Christ singular, singular that, call, that right? Christ puts upon us. Yeah. And then that horizontal, the calls that we have to serve other people. Amen. And I want to get to the three estates now because I don't want to run out of time. So let, yep. let's dig into this now. What yep. are the three estates? How do they relate to vocation and call and how we serve people? So important to me. I, I do appreciate some great work that's been done out there already regarding vocation. Mm. But in my humble opinion, you, you cannot thoroughly consider this apart from our teaching and confession on the estates. Mm -hmm. And just as we make a distinction regarding call, in terms of vertical and horizontal, remember there's a singular vertical and they're plural, horizontal. In the same way, in Lutheran theology, there is there are plural estates and singular estate. Mm. Now, I'm going to save the best for last and, and save the, the singular estate for last. But the three main estates that we discuss in our Lutheran theology are the family, the church— and the greater society, or you might say the state, and is government included in that? Yes, but don't be quick to treat them synonymously mm -hmm. because there's more to the state society than just the government. I want to mention that because there's such an incredible emphasis put on government today to kind of define our lives. And this is one of the main reasons. In fact, it might be the main reason I wrote this book 
because in, in interviewing Dr. Russell Don, president of Concordia University in Chicago for the second book, he explained to me his perspective that he feels as if the governmental estate or that estate it's associated with the, in the state is kind of swallowing up the family and church estate. So we're kind of losing our balance according to God's plan for us. And what he said really bothered me, but I knew it was true and I had to pursue it. So thanks be to God for Dr. Russell Don. It's his fault that I wrote this book. <laughs> thanks, Dr. Don. And uh, so anyway, it's important that we reclaim this proper balance in the three estates of family, church, and state. Now, one of the clarifications I make, I, I want to make sure that we're not confusing this tri-set of estates with two kingdoms speak. Mm. Now, the two kingdoms are very important in Lutheran theology. However, and I don't want to elaborate on the two kingdoms, but in the two kingdoms, when we talk about the right-hand kingdom, the kingdom of, of grace or the kingdom of the church, uh, it's important that we don't take that concept and bring it over to the estates. There's actually a distinction. Mm. In the two kingdom theory, it's it's more of church in the narrow sense, in the pure sense. It's it's the 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 mysterious union between Christ and His Bride, the Church, that's especially epitomized in the Holy Sacrament. This is a heavenly mystery that we become one with Christ in that. But in going over to the estates, our discussion on the three estates is much more practical when it comes to church. And what we're really talking about is the local congregations. And what Luther is making clear to us that in the family estate, the church estate, especially in the local congregations and the society, all three are both secular and spiritual. Hmm. From the Christian perspective, the family estate is both secular and spiritual. Okay? Same is true in the congregation. You need to have boards of directors and parish councils and trustee meetings and all that good stuff and abide by the laws of the local state government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also the holy stuff going on there, obviously. And the same is true in the state. So guess what? God ar arranges our vocations by putting them in context of the estates. Many of our vocations fall under the family estate, others within the congregational estate, and other within the state estate. That's always kind of tricky to say state estate, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> and just as there was kind of an overarching uh, vertical call in talking about vocations, there's an overarching of uh, Peter Albrecht in, in his great works. He does this commentary on the catechisms, points out that is, is it, this fourth estate is really not another estate alongside the first three estates of family, church, and state. It's one kind of in its own class, and it is called, we call it the Christian estate or the spiritual estate, hmm. which means what is driving the Christian in the three estates is love for the neighbor. And a big theme of this book is, do you want to understand Christian sanctification? Do not start gazing at your navel. Do not look for a charismatic experience. Hmm. Look at Andy. Look at Sarah. Look at Peter Bender and love them, and serve them. So that overarching estate of the spiritual estate, it flows down into the three practical estates, if you will, and we see them both as secular and spiritual, which means that the everyday Christian has a constant ministry within those states. And to be excited about that, because I am conducting my spiritual ministry, my spiritual sacrifice in these respective estates, 
as I live on this earth, as I love my neighbor, as I see Christ in my neighbor. And this sanctification is outward. We were talking about flame earlier, and he likes the extra nos thing. You know, Mm -hmm. he sings about it. He's written about it. Extra nos not only applies to our justification, that we are declared righteous outside of ourselves, right, in Christ Jesus, but it applies also to our sanctification. If we're looking out and the Word of God is constantly coming to us, but our neighbors are constantly coming to us as well, and we see Christ in them, then we're going to stay straight, and we won't be doing this gazing at ourselves, you know, checking our spiritual temperatures all the time. But we'll be so caught up in the neighbor, God blesses us that way in our estates. Hmm. So good. Okay, I don't have enough time to ask 12 more questions, so I'll just go with one. Who did you have in mind when you were writing this book? Who did you? Who was the audience you had in mind that would benefit greatly you know, from this? It's a great question, and, you know, Concordia Publishing House does a good job as we submit book proposals. It's one of the questions on the application. Who's your audience? Hmm. And, you know, I, what I typically write down for the three books is something like, you know, kind of the, the, the mature Christian reader. It's it's the Christian, the, the laity in our congregations who are serious about growing in the faith. They want to mature in their walk with Christ. But having said that, it's kind of the official answer. Having said that, I start the book um, reflecting a little bit on the the preface that I, I got to write. And I start, I, I, I quote Jimmy Buffett, uh, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. I was looking for sanctification in all the wrong places. <laughs> and early on in my development, way back in college, um, I was becoming a pretty good pietist. Um, if I prayed enough, if I studied Scripture enough, if I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit enough, then maybe I was sanctified. And I'm sharing with them my discovery in this journey that if you're serious about holiness— which God bestows upon us in Christ, get into the neighbor, serve your neighbor, love them like crazy, and do it in a structured and ordered way in vocation and the estates. And a big, a big, big theme here in the book, the way we express our love is different depending on the estate. So, for example, you might have a Christian judge in the state estate, and he has to send one, someone to prison He's doing it as a Christian in pains for the suffering that his neighbor will have to suffer as consequence for his sin and his crime and doing it prayerfully, you know, but doing it nevertheless because he has a job to do in the civil realm. Mm-hmm. So in every case, we express our love differently. I'm a, I'm a Christian father. I have eight children. And I've had, to, I've, I've had to conduct discipline as a father in different ways for my children you know that saying, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you when you're conducting discipline. It's true. It is true because you don't want your children to suffer. But as you conduct that discipline, it doesn't feel good as a parent sometimes, but you know you're doing what you have to do in Christian love. Mm -hmm. So this is a big theme in the book. What else would you like readers to learn and be able to apply from all of this great stuff that you're writing about? I get back to uh, Dr. Russell Dawn inspiring me. So I really spent a lot of time working on this. And I'm offering a hypothesis, a theory that uh, fortunately a doctrinal review uh, you know, said, okay, let's, let's put it out there. But I do an anthropological study regarding Christ's great command in uh, Matthew 22, uh, 37. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I also present the variations in Mark's gospel he tosses in and all your strength. Luke's gospel, I also look at the uh, Septuagint translation uh, from the Old Testament Hebrew to the Greek. And what I'm finding is, first of all, there's a real consistency in how that great command is presented. So I dug, I did some digging into the exegetical sources and really making a case that to love the Lord with all of our heart is to understand that this is the seat of our will. Our character is established here in the heart. The soul, however, is like the conscience which influences the heart. And by the time you get to the mind, you're talking about the basic fundamental decision-making and actions. So sometimes people, it all starts with the heart. Well, yes, but alongside the soul. And the condition of that soul is going to directly influence the heart. And if you're, you're, your soul is in Christ, you will influence your decisions, your will with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, which is going to have a direct effect on everything else you decide to do and do. Mm-hmm. I make an argument that we can use that as kind of a pattern for family, church, and state. Family is where the character of a nation is seen. Family is the heart of a nation. If you want to know how a nation is doing, look at the family, and you'll know. Now, the conscience of those families are the church, the local congregations. How are we catechizing? How are we caring for the people of God? And if they're cared for and receive the word in the sacrament, it's going to directly affect the heart of the family. And guess what? The family will have a profound effect upon the state. But if we lose caring for those two, two estates of family and church, we're going to have a disaster on our hands regarding the state. Have to have balance. Good stuff. And we are all out of time. So that's where we're going to, where we're going to have to leave it. However, where can we find your books and uh, the podcasts that you do also? Yeah, you can find that uh, Concordia Publishing House for the books, uh, Amazon, of course, uh, books and other publications I, I've written for other books and what have you. For the local podcasts, we do the just so happens to be called Light of the World. And that's the local podcast for St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Irvine. You can find it on YouTube and all kinds of platforms for podcasts. It's both video and audio. We do that. And we have special guests on and all the kinds of fun stuff. But yeah, so thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Very much looking forward to your book coming out in November, completing this trilogy of books about faith and culture. The Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.